1: Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we have, I suppose, a 3-3 draw against Southampton to talk about this week. I think we might have other things to drill down into. Uh, joining me, as always, coming to us from the, um, tunnels, Where is it? <laughs> the tunnels of East Atlanta, it's Ben Daniels. Ben, how how, how are you doing this week?
0: Yeah, just rooting around in the catacombs under East Atlanta.
1: I mean, sure, they probably fought the Civil War down there or something, right? You know.
0: Yeah, that sounds historical. Uh, things are good. Things are very good. Tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow has the potential to be a very good day.
1: And coming to us from uh, the slopes of South Florida, as always, he is geeked up and wired. It is Brian Ashlock with a Y. Brian, how are you doing this week?
2: Uh, not great. Um, you know, I look around me and, uh, what I see are, are selfish podcasters, um, podcasters who they don't want to help each other. Uh, they don't want to put in a heart. Uh, we've been doing this podcast for eight years, eight years and not a single ad read and, you know, because they don't know any better, you know, they don't know anything different and, um, you know, how can, how can we make this change? How can I, as one third of this podcast make this change and, um, I, I'm t- I'm tired of it, honestly. I can tell you that that this moment is really, really low, and and all I see are just podcasters um, that only want to podcast for themselves.
1: It's you know, there's some tough home truths. Uh, I think I think Matt Law is really going to appreciate that you 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 spoke truth to power like that, Brian.
0: Yeah. yeah why so- won't Daniel Levy buy Brian a better mute button? This is outrageous that he has to work <laughs> under these conditions.
1: It's Dustin like, does not care about this podcast <laughs> success. If he invested and backed the podcasters, imagine what we could have done.
2: I mean, all it would have taken was one MeUndies ad read or a purple mattress or, or something. Or blue shoe. Yeah, honestly, anything.
1: So what do you guys want to talk about?
0: I want to talk about the managerial masterclass of that Southampton performance.
1: Well, you know, you know it's not just any team that can go up 3-1 uh, in the 75th minute of a game against the worst team in the league and, you know, have it end the way that it did. That's, that's, not everyone can do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's in the same weekend that we saw Arsenal also sitting on 3-1 and go on to win 4-1, Leeds nearly collapse a 3-0 lead and, and hang on to survive. Um, and then watch us do the fucking bullshit that we did uh, was extra hard to swallow. Like, you can't do it. You can't hold on to a two-goal lead. Even well, if you're you a bad know, not team. Not with like these leads.
1: players. Not with these players. These selfish, selfish players.
2: Yeah. I I just, it's. <laughs> and, and And they were all, like, just. Such sloppy goals that we kind of conceded, like the the Walcott second one, um, and the first you know, you one. You
1: can't, you don't get sloppier than the first goal we. Yeah, conceded.
2: you know, I, I just and and look, you know, we can probably you know talk about the penalty and whether or not it was a penalty and you know all that, but like that. That isn't even an issue if you don't have those other two mistakes, like you know the fact that Sar maybe or maybe do- maybe doesn't foul that guy. Only matters because we switched off into very important instances. One less than a minute into the second half, like that to me is the bigger problem than the phantom penalty.
1: You know, you know what was particularly galling about that. And I know we're really jumping around here, but like, how often is it? you know, you, you want Spurs because other teams do this, you score a goal right before the half and it just demoralizes the other team. Like that should put you on the front foot going into the second half. Like you should be ready to take it to them and kill that game. And, you know, like to their credit, they got to three, one where they should also be able to kill that game, but you should never let, I mean, you should never let them back into it. Like Spurs, I think had a, not hur- I think they had a decent first-half performance. I mean, maybe I'm just thinking of Pedro Porro, who we'll talk about in a second, because he's our boy. But, you know, like, you just ride that out for a few minutes and create some attacks, and all of a sudden, Southampton's completely on the back foot. But you just let them back into the game less than a minute into the second half. It's completely inexcusable.
0: Yeah, these players are cowards and losers, and they don't have the right culture to not do that. Nothing to do with whatever happened at halftime. and the manager. Uh, Correct me if I'm this. wrong.
1: Uh, Perisic is the one who got cooked for that goal, right?
0: I mean, a lot of people got cooked for that goal, but yeah, Perisic. Yeah,
1: cooked but cooked like Antonio goal. Conte, like if there's one transfer, we know he was behind this summer. It's him.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to have an opportunity to give Conte credit very often, but uh, <laughs> I will one last time give him credit for making the switch to make Ben Davis our left wing back at Paris, expense. Even if this was a game that uh, Davis had to go off hurt and. Conte's boy came back in.
1: Um, Okay. We're going to get into the many, many negatives of this game, but I think it is worth dwelling on the only real positive, which is our scouting product in that Pedro Porro, I thought (laughs) looked lively and fun. And scored a hell of a goal. That was a really good goal he scored. And he was constantly in dangerous positions. I mean, if you're going to give Conte any sort of break coming out of this game, the only thing I can think of is, like, what if he had players like this on the wings his entire time here? But, you know, uh, we don't need to get into that right now. But I thought Pedro Poro was really impressive and fun. And you could see why this club got him. Like. Just he was doing good passes. His crosses were decent. He was in good positions to take shots, even if all his shots weren't the best. But, you know, just a very dangerous player, all half. And the kind of thing that was like, you know, we've really been looking for that for a year and a half at least.
2: Well, he's another presence and another person to get shots in the the penalty area. I mean, we've just been kind of bereft of shots in a lot of our games, um, at least lately. And, uh, you know, he offers that. And, you know, yeah, he had a couple that were way over the bar or whatever. But I'm more encouraged by him getting into the position and then ultimately getting a goal on a a hell of a hit. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff you want to see. Um, I think Spurs had a move.
1: I mean, they were they were all a little different, but they were clearly trying to get Pedro Poro in those in those open spaces on the right. And they were being successful. I mean, that the one where he scored the goal, he was really Way out on an island by himself. There was no one around him. But he received the ball in dangerous positions with, you know, some space like two or three times in a similar area. And like you said, Ryan, he skied some shots, but again, dangerous position after dangerous position. And that was nice to see. Of course, you know, Southampton figured out how to stop that in the second half. But
0: I mean, the way that like Conte's wanted us to play and, you know, last spring when we were good, it involved Matt Doherty being in the box, heavily involved, getting shots off you know, even Emerson figuring out how to get in the box and, and and take shots and score goals, you know, getting a a wing back in who can take three shots inside the box inside the first half is like exactly what a dimension that this team needs. And, you know, beyond that, he gives us another guy who can pass the ball, which has been sorely lacking all season, um, you know, across the pitch.
1: Um, A lot of people were talking about how bad his passing was, but like, I, I haven't seen that in his time at Spurs. I mean.
0: No, I thought he struck up a, a pretty good relationship with Kuliszewski. He was very good at finding that, like, overlapping ball, at, you know, and interchanging with him well. Um, you know, he he hits a lot of hopeful balls, and they don't always come off. But, you know, he's he's always gunning. He's always looking for that progressive pass. He's always trying to make something happen. Um and yeah, I'm really excited to see what a good manager can do with a player of that caliber.
1: And I think it's it's also worth pointing out, like for as much as he sort of skies some passes, like I think his delivery is pretty good. Like, I mean, from free kicks to crosses to passes, I mean, he, he puts a zip on the ball. I think he's accurate enough. It's just he's, he's a very I'm very impressed with him. I know his defense is something that gives you a little bit of pause. And I'm sure, especially if we're playing like a city or a Liverpool or whatever, that's going to be a bigger problem. But right now, I think he puts more on the table than he takes off of it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the other kind of issue that that I saw with him was in the second half when we were kind of trying to control the game a little bit more and kill it off. He wasn't really helping with that. Um, and I don't know if that's just a factor of positioning or tactics or, or or whatever the case may be, but we were a little more solid, even though we conceded a penalty once Emerson came on. Um, you know, I think I think the. Getting the most out of Poro is really going to depend on you know uh, him being able to incorporate into the possession structures um, or, or the out of possession structures, so that we can uh, you know shut teams down and and kill games off. And
0: I think and, I agree with that, but I think the other part of that is like, don't turn up against Southampton and invite pressure on yeah, them for forty I, minutes. Like you don't absolutely. need to
1: do that. If like so, you're just attacking in any form or fashion, I think it. You know, I mean, I, again, I'm not saying teams aren't going to be able to shut him down or make him a problem on defense, but yeah, I don't think it becomes as anonymous if you're just going forward someone, even if it's maybe not as aggressively as you could be.
0: But yeah, you're right. This is something that needs to get better because you can't really start him against a good team and trust that what he gives you an attack is going to not going to be undone by you know his but, defensive weaknesses. Kind of like Perisic on the other side of the pitch. You know, he did score that third goal and also was responsible for two of the goals coming back the other way. So there you go.
1: But I also think that it it all depends on who you get and how we play. But I mean, I think Pedro Poro is going to be extremely dangerous if we're willing to play with the ball more often. You know, if we're just not, you know, obviously a guy like him with his speed and ability to sort of, you know, hit a ball from distance is going to be valuable in a counterattacking team. But I also think he's, you know, I mean, if, if if you're playing like, I mean, I know Pochino's teams are counterattacking teams, but if we just have the ball more, I think you can really use him a lot to cause problems. And I'm excited to see that eventually, I hope. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, uh, now that we've gotten the positives out of the way, obviously we scored two other goals, but I don't know, the, the wheels really uh, fell off. Other, Go ahead. I guess
0: one other positive is like, Nice, nice day for Kulishevsky after some rocky weeks. Yes, I mean, it might be
1: it might be grading him on a curve, but certainly this is the best we've seen him in a while.
0: Yeah, I mean, he set up the second goal. He basically set up the third goal, you know, pinged around a little bit before it got to Paris. But he was good. He was good. And, you know, I was kind of like I was worried that when we saw Poro and Richarlison strike up such a good relationship last week, that, you know, stylistically, Richarlison being more of a forward and less of a creator might have meant, oh, I don't know. Is he going to strike up the same kind of relationship with Kuliszewski? Are they going to want to take up the same kind of spots to put in crosses? Like, are they going to figure that out? Are they going to get in each other's way? Kind of like, you know, we've talked about Paris and son doing, um, but they looked really natural together in a way that I think is is good for the future of this team. Because they're hopefully going to be key parts of, you know, whatever happens going forward.
1: I mean, we'll get into this, if not this week later. But I do think there's a lot of good parts on this team, um, despite what Antonio Conte thinks. And I think, you know, maybe if we're talking about the next great Spurs team, there's a lot of work to be done. But if you want to talk about a championship league quality team, you know. um, Our
0: championship qualities.
1: Well, yeah, there. I'm really. I mean, That's what we kind of are right now. But um, if you want to talk about a champions league level team, I mean, uh, you know, I feel like. Obviously, depending on what manager we bring in and what their style is, but I I don't think we're a million miles away. There's good players on this team right now, but you wouldn't have known that in the last 20 minutes of this game because, boy, howdy, did we just completely lose control of the match.
2: Yeah, I mean, like Ben said, we just conceded territory, we conceded possession, we... Bunkered in a low block when, you know, we'd really had him on the ropes when we were just using our possession and spreading the field and moving it side to side. And, uh, you know, I I don't know. Uh, Three goals in the half, two of them pretty sloppy. Um, I don't know. It was just it was just it wasn't the worst 45 minutes of football that we've played all year, but it was pretty bad given the context of how good we'd been in the first half how bad the opposition was and then just you know that we continued to even score goals in the second like you know we made them work for this draw and that's not a great feeling
0: yeah it was i I think you're right it was probably the most embarrassing forty-five minutes we've sat through, if not the worst forty-five minutes. That was the so, shameful kind of uh, experience.
1: To me, the like the really the bit that's an indictment. None of it was good in the second half. But like the bit to me that's an indictment is you can sort of look at the first and second goals Southampton scored as dumb, fluky goals. And I'm not saying that there aren't things to get mad at about Spurs generally and specifically generally about their play before that and after that, and specifically about those goals, but To me, the real big indictment was everything that happened after Walcott's goal. Because that's where it's – they just started putting us on the ropes. And it's like you can look at – up until Walcott's goal, you can be like, you know what? We're not playing great. But, like, dumb shit happened twice, and it is what it is. But we just, like, started – like you said, we went in this little block. We did all this other shit. And I don't know what Conte is doing. That's why, like, he talks about these players and whatever – being the problem and it's just like you're putting this team in a position to fail it's you know there's an American football joke about the pre there's a thing called the prevent defense which is you drop a bunch of defenders deep and the idea is you just don't give up a you, you don't give up a touchdown you don't let them get massive chunks of yards that's the idea and the, the joke that a lot of fans have about it is that all the thing the only thing a prevent defense prevents is winning and that's all it was it's like we were just like hold, trying to hold on and that may is as a defensible strategy if you have like five minutes left or something. You know that was in like the 75th, 70, like you know in the 70s that we we had 20, 15 minutes to go at that point, and we're just letting Southampton come at us. We weren't even effectively countering the ball. And it's like I don't know what you're doing. You're setting them up to fail. Like you can't tell me that with a substitution or two. And I know we put Sar on eventually, probably too late if you're actually trying to like countering, possess the ball. But it's like you've got to like. Hold on to the ball. And I don't understand why, like, he just refuses to play. I don't want to say play this team's strengths, but keeps playing to this team's weaknesses.
0: I mean, it's been very funny to watch him aggressively not make substitutions to chase a game, to try and win a game. But he was very happy to make two substitutions to take off attackers and, like, retrench into that low block and get Emerson and Sar, Which, yeah, if you're going to do that, those are good substitutions to make. But, like, don't do that. Just don't do that. And now here we are.
1: And um, I think, you know, Emerson for – Pedro Poro, I think, is a defensible substitution. You want some stability on that side. You want someone who can defend. Great. Even Sar is good, you know, because he can, in theory, possess and pass and whatever. But you're just not making any effort to go forward and hold on to the ball. Like, you know, even just to give your t- defense time to some relief and time to reorganize and catch their breath, like, it just kept coming back to us wave after wave and, you know. Southampton really didn't create, I mean, they created chances, but I mean, they didn't score a goal without the referee's help, but like, you know, it's Ben, you've talked about this a lot on this podcast when you sort of don't score a ton of goals. And admittedly today we scored three, but like when you keep inviting chances, even if they're low percentage chances, you're kind of asking for it at a certain point. And that's what happened to Spurs. They, you know, it's like you, you know, you keep, you fuck around and you find out like it's, It was bullshit the way they got their third goal, but you shouldn't put yourself in a position where that's going to matter.
0: You shouldn't put yourself in a position where Theo Walcott at 40 years old looks like a fucking star. Well, all right. He hasn't scored a goal in like three years. He's not good. I remember we were watching him play last week and just being like marveling at the fact that he was on the pitch at all. And he looked terrible. And then fast forward a week, and he is putting us on skates and setting up goals, scoring goals. It's just – it's fucking Theo Walcott. He's our age. This shouldn't be happening.
1: With him like that, like just totally inexcusable, like on every yeah. level. All
0: right, have we buried the lead enough? Can we talk about the end of fucking content?
1: I do want to say, do you, do you <laughs> have anything to say about that that penalty at the end? Because I – I mean, maybe the best thing about – Conte getting fired is that like SAR might not be sent to fucking Siberia for three months. Uh, I mean, if Ryan Mason comes in, that might happen anyway, but you know, like, um, I mean, I, I feel like SAR is hard to, I, I do not feel like SAR deserves a lot of blame. for that.
2: I mean, I think Ben and I said the same thing in our, in our writer's room, like at, as soon as the penalty was confirmed <laughs> that we would, we both said we would never see SAR again. Um and so yeah, that is, I guess, the silver lining to potentially Conte being fired is that Sar may continue to play. But I mean, it's
0: all silver lining.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I just uh, like I said at the beginning, I th- I think it's you know it it sucks to to waste time talking about that. Like I I don't understand how it's a penalty. I don't understand how on review it's a penalty. Um, you know, I think if that was called against Spurs, I would happily take it. I suppose, but like. That would never,
1: ever stand – like, that would absolutely get taken away on VAR if, like, if that happened to us. Like, don't say the – like, no one say the Lamella goal against Liverpool – the Lamella penalty against Liverpool because even though Lamella did something similar, like, I mean, Van Dyke cleaned him out, like, when he jumped in front of him, so –
2: yeah, I don't know. I just, it's it's stupid. Like, what's what's even the point of VAR if it's not to review these things? And then the, the bar on VAR is, like, a clear and obvious error, and it's just, like, okay, but maybe this guy should have at least gone over and looked at it. Because, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't, I don't understand.
1: Yeah, the fact on. that it wasn't even looked at is just, it's like, what are we doing here? Like,
0: right, I remember this. a goal being... Highly scrutinized, very recently in a Spurs match, um, or a red card, I guess. Highly scrutinized with VAR, and this was just like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll say it's a penalty. This is
1: fine. Like, I just can't believe that. Like, there's like what eight guys in a booth somewhere in London or whatever, and none of them were like, "Ooh, you might want to go take a look at that." <laughs> like,
0: yeah, he does not appear to make any contact with him whatsoever.
1: Well, it's just, not only that, but, like, Southampton players clearly initiating it. He's clearly diving. Like, like he, probably, he probably could have been in more of a foul than Sar did on that. Flight. I mean, it's a high like,
0: foot, right? Like, you can't put your foot at head height and jump it in front of somebody like that. Like, that's a foul.
1: You know, the sad thing about it is, I as it was happening, before they gave the penalty, my thought was, like... Like, finally, someone's trying to fucking boot the ball out of the box. Because I felt like we were being cute before that. And it was just like, yeah, sorry. Like, get that thing out of there. So. Anyway. Um, that's not the lead. The lead is Antonio Conte lost his fucking mind after the match. It, it's funny. I, I watched this. I was watching this match in a casino. And we just sort of left in disgust when the, when the, you know, when we lost. And it was only several hours later that I opened Twitter to see. Huh? Be true. Yeah. Well, I lost um, something else. So anyway, um, it was only several hours later that I've never, I, I opened Twitter and I've never seen that many reporters react like that to a press conference. And we had Jose Mourinho on our team for like two years. So I think that's saying something, but it was, uh, I don't know, Conte lost his mind and said some pretty crazy shit about the club, about the players, about ownership. Um, We're recording this, just for context, on Monday night in America, so it's 10 o'clock here. Um, As of right now, everyone and their mother is saying that Conte's been fired, but it hasn't been made official yet. So, you know, I have no reason to believe that won't happen, but I am a little stunned that he hasn't been fired. He wasn't fired immediately. I mean, that was... I don't think there's anyone at Tottenham Hotspur that he didn't burn bridges with in that press conference. I mean, he pissed off the owner, he pissed off the fans, he pissed off the the players. Like, I mean, I don't know sort of what Conte's constituency
2: is at the club after that. Paratici, basically. I
0: I can't imagine.
2: He's easy easy to work with.
0: I feel like Paratici caught strays as well. Like, he's responsible for signing a lot of these players that are bums. I don't know.
2: Yeah. I don't know. It's it's a very untenable situation. Like, I just don't know, like, if anybody, if any of us did that like in our in our daily lives where we were just like you know look I manage this team of people but like all these the people on this team they're all lazy and that's why we didn't hit our quotas or meet our deadlines or you know that it's it's those guys and like I know I'm in charge of those guys but it's their fault not mine and 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 also by the way you guys haven't bought us a new I don't know computer system in that's why, and all the new hires are kids fresh out of college, and they're stupid. And it, It's I mean, insane that he's still in a job. Like, I would have been fired immediately for saying that at my job. I um, mean, the real
0: thing is, what you? He, he also said, by the way, this company has sucked for 20 years and always sucked. People who run this company suck. And has done a shitty job making anybody who works for this company any good. Like, it wasn't just the players, despite what Conte would have you believe. He was aiming fucking everywhere.
2: Yeah, I, I think that is the 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 galling part that the 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 clarifications that came out in the media this morning. They were like, "Oh, Conte's spoken with the club and has clarified that he wasn't talking about the boardship. He was only talking about the players." I'm like, "Well, what's that bit about the 20 years thing? Because that's not that's not about some of those guys, unless like I don't know, 15 year old Eric Dyer was sabotaging Spurs." But you know what? Like, if that's
1: true, which Again, I don't think that's what he was doing. But if that's true, that's still a fireball offense. Like, how is he going to tell those players to go out and win one for, you know, the gipper or whatever for the next, like, 10 weeks? Like, you know, I mean, that, that's also negligent. It's like, OK, look, the, I, I think the way a lot of modern fans approach, at least like in the sphere of people we talk to and ourselves, yeah there i think there's seen it seen to be a virtue to be sort of clear-eyed about your club not like look at everything with sort of rose-colored glasses and sort of have an understanding so i think that leads to us sometimes to entertain like a cynical view of the club but i actually want to speak like a, i want to say the kind of thing that maybe we'd associate with like a you know like a radio call like a talk sport caller or something like that because i actually this is the time for it like Between this, between the shit he said after we lost to Milan, like, talking about, like, what a story club Milan are and Tottenham aren't fit to, like, fucking polish their boots. Like, I'm sorry. Like, Milan's been a fucking farmer's club for, like, 10 years until they won the title last year. Like, we've accomplished a lot. And even if we hadn't, he is our fucking manager. Like, if he thinks it's beneath him to be our manager, he needs to keep that shit to himself. Part of what you're getting paid for is representing the club and believe it or not, even a club like Tottenham is a club that should have some fucking pride in like the things that's accomplished and the people who are there and the people who have been there. And, you know, I don't think it's too much to ask for him to show a degree of respect, you know, even as things aren't going well and he's having a shitty year and the club's having a shitty year, you know, like if he wants to like take a run at certain things, that's fine. But he constantly denigrates the place acts like he's doing us a favor by being here, you know, and because we're not like Juventus or Real Madrid, we're some fucking like backwater shithole and he keeps doing it now. And frankly, he's done it to some degree through his entire tenure, but I'm honestly getting sick of it because he's not any good. Like there's a lot of institutional problems. And he might've sort of brushed up against a couple of them in his little, in his remarks. I don't think they have, a ton to do with why this club is having an extremely bad season. And I think Conte has far more to do with those, with the way the season's played out than anything Daniel Levy's done in the transfer window over the last like five, 10 years.
2: Well, one of the things we talked about last week was like message discipline and like how you have to, as the manager, like have the awareness and the thoughtfulness to be on message all the time. And like, If your message is you're not pleased with the performance, you don't think the players were trying hard enough in this match, or you question some of their distractions. You question, you know, Richarlison and Romero thinking about international break, whatever. There is a way to deliver that message that is not this, you know, there's a way to get up there in front of the that assembled media and say you know what i'm really disappointed with the performance i you know i think that our effort was lacking um you know i'm gonna address that with the players break we're gonna do you know i think that this and this were a problem that's all fine you know and that's that's the kind of criticism that i can accept from my manager but i'm not gonna sit here as a fan and be willing to accept a manager who's going to tell me that my club is shitty and has been shitty for two decades, and it's because of things that are outside of his control. Motherfucker, you were hired to coach this team, so coach them. We had this same problem with Mourinho, where he said, it's not me, it's these players, it's the Tottenham way, it's Spursy. Okay, we spent four or five years under Pochettino grinding Spursy out of our lexicon with a lot of these same players. And you're trying to tell me that these guys aren't committed, that these guys are too nice, that these guys don't care. No, that is not the problem here. The problem here. And, and, you know, we can talk about the front office stuff and I'm sure we will. And and he is. Well, within his rights to complain about, I didn't get this player. I didn't get the things I wanted. That's fine. I don't care about him saying that. But, like, where we are as a club 20 years ago to where we are now, like, that's not even up for debate. Like, we've just, we're light years ahead of where we were. And to have that now be called into question because he can't hold a 3-1 lead against the bottom of the table club is bullshit. And it's an excuse. And I'm tired of his excuses.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I don't know. Like, you can go through it logically and be like, which players are we talking about, Antonio? The players that you never rotate and refuse to rest because they're the only guys that you trust? Are you talking about Harry Kane? Is he the problem? Because there's not a lot of continuity between, like, previous regimes here. It's like Kane, son, Hugo, Dyer, and Ben Davis. And, like, all of those guys start every single game. Like we've asked you to bench son and like try something different and he refuses. So like, what is actually the problem with these players? But like, I, I'm not even interested in like trying to like unpack this with any kind of sense of rationality. The thing that pisses me off is the just level of contempt that he clearly has for us. It's just, it's just unacceptable. And you know, like the journalists who are all like nodding along and like saying that he has a point, like, these are the people who share that contempt. I understand that we're a bit of a punchline as a club and historically have been, and, you know, have fallen short at a lot of hurdles, but like, you know, it's kind of like talking shit about your own family. Like you're allowed to do that because you're invested and you care. Conte has not earned the right to talk about us that way. Like that is just, I'm not going to stand from that from anybody, let alone the guy who's supposed to be here fixing whatever's wrong with
1: this team he paid to be the public face of the club on top of being paid to make us play well like it's just it's boring to hear this shit from a guy who like can't figure out how to get the best out of these players and like frankly like just to unpack this a little bit but like let's look at this club do you think the problem with where we are right now is because eric dyer doesn't care or try hard Or do you think it's because Eric Dyer's maybe just not good enough? And, you know, there's an issue there. Like, there's certain problems here. But the fact of the matter is, if this club that he put out there, if it's 11 selfish players only playing for themselves, you've been here for over a year. Whose fucking fault is that? You've been here through three transfer windows? You know, this club has given him an unprecedented level of support, I think, in terms of, Taylor like buying a lot of players he wanted, even if we didn't get them all. I understand you know we weren't able to get a guy like Bastoni or whatever, and we had to settle for Long Lay. But like, you know, we talked about Perisic, Basuma, Richardson. I mean, we have bought him. We've spent a lot of money on his players. And frankly, we let him ship dudes out. We let him get rid of guys that we thought were bad character, bad options, all this shit. We didn't let Jose Mourinho do that. And I know we all think Jose Mourinho is a loser, because you know, he is. But like Daniel Levy clearly didn't, and Daniel Levy wouldn't let him ship out in Domblay and Lacelso and Deli Alley. Like he wouldn't let him do that. He, I mean, admittedly, some of these guys were a little further down the line when Conte got to them. But like, Conte gave this club his evaluations of in Domblay and Lacelso and Deli Alley and a couple other guys, and you know their asses were out the door within like one transfer window. I mean, they never played for us again after January that first year he was here. So, like, I don't want to hear this shit about how it was backed. I don't want to hear this shit about how we don't have it in our DNA to win as a club. I mean, fuck you. Like, you know, like, I'll tell you one thing. Like, our worst managers over the last, like, 10 years have won more European games than he has. So, like, you know, I don't want to fucking hear this shit about how it's, you know, our problem and he has nothing to do with it. That's like, it bothered me when Kane wanted out. Like, and, and Kane probably had more of a reason to think like this, but I hate this idea of like, Spurs have all these problems and I'm a fucking bystander. What do you expect me to do? Like, well, Con- Antonio, I expect you to coach this team better, have them better prepared and, you know, come up with a winning strategy. But when you refuse to rotate, you refuse to use guys who were signed for you. I mean, I don't, like, again, we talked we've talked about this before, but it's ridiculous that he just can't find it in himself to use Dan Juma or basuma or spence or whoever because it's like i don't know if it's like a political hit or he just has standards that are ridiculous because they don't meet exactly what he wants to do but like i don't know it's it's just it's totally ridiculous and i mean the, uh, the thing with like when pochettino
0: got here you know after his first season or first little bit you know he recognized that there was a contingent of players who are a problem in the dressing room you know we call it the kabul cabal and guys who have been very good service of this club like kabul and aaron lennon and even adam um you know all got sent to the bench and guys like ryan mason got a shot you know like pochettino said if there is a problem within this squad and like the give-a-shits among these players Stop playing them and play people who will try for you and play the guys who are there who want to work. And in 18 months, if you haven't identified 11 guys who will give you that, that's a you problem. It is your job to either make the team care or find the guys that don't and get them out of here. Like, that's it. That's the job.
2: And I mean, you know, that's the job for these top level managers. Like, you know, Ten Hog at Man United had Cristiano Ronaldo to deal with. And like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo's ego and his wages are on a whole other level to wherever, you know, Hungman's son or Eric Dyer or whoever we want to scapegoat for this are. Like, like you have to make difficult decisions as a manager. And if your decision is you have X number of selfish players in this team, then you have the wherewithal to do something about it. Now, maybe his argument is that Harry Kane is the selfish player and it's Harry Kane. That's the problem. And you know, well, okay. that You not. can't really do anything about that. But like, I think we all have to accept that he's probably not the one that they have the issue with. So I just, I just don't know. My problem with this is, it's it's so excuse based and like so many of these things that he is complaining about i feel are within his realm as a manager in the same way that they would be within all our realms in in our everyday employment if we were in charge of a group of people your job as a manager is to put these players in the best position to succeed and if you think that you you know the 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 players that you have aren't going to get you there. Then you have the obligation to try different things, whether that's different formations, different deployments, different roles, different guys, kids, whatever. I don't know, but he's not doing anything, and so for for him to sit back and remove himself from any level of culpability in this is is absurd to me, you know. And he's going to sit there and say, you know if they want to, you know, if they want to continue playing like this, they can change the manager. They can bring in a different manager, but, but it's not going to change the, the, the underlying structure and, and the culture of the club. Like I just firmly disagree with that. Like, like I understand, you know, the discourse on Twitter has been like the culture of Spurs is the culture of Spurs because of Enoch and Joe Lewis and Daniel Levy and, and, But but that's just not true. Like the culture of Spurs has shifted, you know. Each time we've hired a different manager, like the culture of Spurs under under Redknapp was somewhat different than the culture of Spurs under Pochettino was different than what we've had in two years under different. And and to absolve yourself as the manager of any responsibility or culpability in the shaping of that is just—it's ridiculous.
0: Right. I mean, culture does not. I mean, I, I tweeted about this and yelled at people on the Internet about this. But like the idea of a culture of a club doesn't exist separate from the players and managers and, you know, ownership and all of those those components. You know, it is a function of those things. It is not something inherent in a club. It's not like Arsenal suddenly got a good culture this season, along with Gabriel Jesus Um, in the transfer window like it is a product of like getting better players and getting a manager working with this club and making them better on the pitch and then with that comes a culture of winning and success and whatever the fuck else you want to talk about culture like we had whatever that culture is under pochettino like no we didn't win trophies but we damn sure got very fucking close And the thing that kept us from winning titles and winning cups was not a lack of the proper culture at Spurs. It's not like we didn't show up for finals and, you know, take title races down to the wire at the end of the season. It's just we played better teams. We got unlucky. These things happen. Like, to the extent that culture at Spurs is a problem, it is a culture that has been made under Antonio Conte's leadership. Period.
2: And And I think if you want to talk about, you know, culture and what culpability ownership has in that, or responsibility, then then what you're talking about is the misalignment of culture. The misalignment of, so for example, we hire Antonio Conte, and the statement from Daniel Levy is that we're getting back to our Spurs DNA. And like, I think we were all in this podcast a little and, and probably broadly as Spurs fans, we were all a little bit skeptical of that. We were like, well, but aren't they isn't Conte a defensive manager and doesn't he like to counterattack? And isn't this just kind of more of the same as Jose Mourinho, but you know, like he can actually win in the modern era? And we were kind of right. Um, but so so you know, that's my thing is 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 if Levy and Enoch and you know the the top part of this club bears responsibility. It's in their failure to align what their ideals are with the management. Um, but I think more than likely it's just the outs, the people on the outside. It's the fans that are that they that we as the fans we have this idea of what Spurs should be, could be, are, and and it doesn't align with internal hierarchy and that's why we're sitting out here uh feeling the way we feel but look i think if you talk about like where spurs are now if you want to like talk
1: about from a broader perspective then antonio conte sucks and can't manage a team anymore and has bungled this like i think like how we got here in particular is We have never had, like we've talked, okay, so we've talked before about how Daniel Levy did a great job building Spurs up to where they are, but he has not been able to take Spurs from regularly qualifying to the top four to whatever the the next step is, like in the way that he took Spurs from being a relegation candidate to a top four team, and I think a big part of that is he doesn't understand exactly how to do deal with, we have stars here, namely Harry Kane, but a couple other guys, I want to keep them happy and engaged and a part of a winning Spurs, now I think some of that, ironically comes from the fact that I think Levy in particular and certain other parts of our ownership are acting like fans. I think they're being sentimental about this stuff. They like these guys. They want to win with these guys. They think they're sure bets and they don't want to lose them. But the fact of the matter is we keep trying to keep this spinning. And I think that's what got us where we are now. We fired Pochettino because, you know, frankly, I think Pochettino was checked out, but, You know, we didn't want to, like, gut the whole team and start over. And then when Pochino was kind of melting down in the middle of the season, it was like, okay, well, how do we make sure that Deli and Christian Eriksen and all these other guys don't, like, want to leave immediately? Well, let's bring in Jose Mourinho and that will impress people. And then when, you know, we didn't want to sell Kane and it was a total disaster. And obviously, I guess Nuno was meant to be sort of a stopgap hire, but, you know, we brought in Conte to stop the bleeding and do the same thing over again. And we've been really reluctant to do that sort of reset rebuild process and that's where i think ownership is sort of let the fans down let the team down but like i think regardless of what you want to talk about team construction and strategy and all that shit the thing they put together for antonio conte this year even if it's not specifically what he wanted that team is should be better than what we're seeing right now both in terms of results and in terms of style of play that he that Basuma has been as bad as he is this year. I think it's down to Conte. I'll give Charleston a bit of a pass on that because I think he's been hurt most of the year, and that's really the source of most of his problems. You know, maybe Perisic is, like, past it, but like Conte's the one who wanted him. I mean, we have all these signings, all these players, and Conte's just not getting the best out of them. And, you know, like, he wouldn't let Heal go when he was clearly done with Brian Heel. Like, okay, what the fuck are we doing here? That guy should be loaned out or, you know sold, you know, because he's clearly not going to use him. And he keeps playing games with these players. Sar's been sitting on the bench when he clearly, you know, has more to give than some of these guys. It's just, you know, for all the bad luck we've had this year, the teams that we've been able to put out there, this isn't like last year where once you get past, like, the first 11 players, it's a bunch of turds on the bench. Like, there's real options on this team, even if they're not, like, the precise players that Conte wants. You know, I mean, most teams in the Premier League would kill to have Dan Juma as, like, a backup option off the bench. And he just won't use them or can't get the best out of them. And it's, it's, it, the mess we're in right now is, I think, specifically down to Conte.
0: Right. I mean, I think we, we're in a couple of messes kind of simultaneously, right? Like the way that Levy has like lurched from quick fix to quick fix in the wake of yeah. Pochettino, you know, reaching the Champions League final has been bad. And that's four years of really broad mismanagement. And part of that mismanagement is, Trying to make it work with a guy like Antonio Conte, who was never a great fit, you know, with what we are capable of delivering. The big concern when we hired him is he's a guy who needs a lot of investment and is prone to meltdowns. You know, like we knew that was the case. And, you know, Daniel Levy tried to invest as much as reasonably possible, I think, you know, more than he has in recent years. But... It sounds like that was never going to be enough. Right. It was just never going to be enough for Conte. And like, we're seeing Conte melt down in exactly the way anybody could have predicted him to melt down. So like, I think Conte is a good manager and, you know, put him at a club with the resources to deliver the things that he wants. You know, maybe he could even win titles again in the major league. I don't know. And I don't really care, but like the fit problems were always something we were kind of looking past. Because we were excited to have this world class title winning manager, Um, and like, and it should be noted, he
1: did, he did like perform a miracle last year. He did a really good job with us for like six or eight months there.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Like again, like I think he is not a like a bad coach, but I think he is a bad manager. Whatever you know, do you want to parse that? so like those problems exist with how we've run this club from from the end of Pochettino's era to now, and like that's the hard part of like hearing Conte say these things is like we all know that some of that is true, even though like the 20 years of losers and his culture or whatever is, is nonsense. Like we all agree that like Enoch has been not running this club very well for a few years, and that Daniel Levy has problems. And we can accept all of that as true and also say Conte in the 18 months he's been here has not done the job. And beyond that, like if he keep his fucking mouth shut and just be like, like you said, Greg, like get out there and be like, you know what? We didn't have the focus today for 90 minutes that we needed. We go again next week. We're still in fourth place. We're in pole position to qualify for the Champions League again. We'll kick on. Like, I'm not happy about the way the season's going. Like, I think we could be better and should be better. But the breaking point with Conte isn't that. It's that he fucking hates us and displays his disdain for everything about this club that we all care very much about at every opportunity. Anytime something goes wrong, he has this fucking meltdown and just shits all over anything in sight. And that is untenable, and that is where you have
1: to draw the line. Yeah, I mean, he talked it, it's himself... especially galling...
2: Go ahead, Brian, sorry. I was, uh, I, well, one, I thought I was muted, so uh, I'm glad that I wasn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, he talked himself into, like, the current controversy. Like, Like Ben said, if he comes out after that match and is, you know, has some message discipline... Even just sounds like, you know, vaguely disappointed and angry. You know, the talk is only like, oh, we're still not going to renew him, another flat performance, like da 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 The talk isn't now like he's getting canned on Tuesday. Like, he talked himself into that. And he had, there was no reason to do it other than he just hates us.
1: And I don't think he was trying to get fired. Like, You look at the way he's spent the weekend or spent the next day or so trying to clean those comments up either through himself or, you know, friendly media. Like, I I think he sort of just got carried away and went too far. But like you said, it's if he doesn't talk that way after the Milan game, if he doesn't do this, everyone sort of is like, you know what? This isn't working. And frankly, everyone's got to sort of get out of jail free card because Conte's had a rough year. He clearly wants to go back and see his family. If he can just keep his fucking mouth shut, knuckle down, get through the season. Oh, I put Spurs in top four. He can say some, like, mildly insulting shit about, like, what do you expect to do with Spurs? But I put him in the Champions League again. You know, he can go with some of his reputation intact and uh, in terms of what he did at Spurs, move on. And Spurs can move on, and everyone can, like, you know, reasonably feel happy about where they are in the summer. Spurs get to hire a new manager and we're in the Champions League, hopefully. But like like you said, Conte can't keep his fucking mouth shut. And now we're in this situation where, you know, we're gonna have to fire him. We're probably gonna have Ryan Mace as our manager for the rest of the year, who, God bless him, is probably not ready. Um, you know, especially for, you know, what do we have? Like nine, ten matches left. It's gonna be you know, that's a lot for a rookie manager. And, you know, Spurs don't probably don't have the money to throw around like Chelsea to bring in like a honest to God, real manager for just a 10 game stretch. And it's the situation Conte's put us in, because honestly, if you're Spurs, yeah, I want to like have sort of a long runway to hire this new manager. And we're going to do it in, you know, eight or nine weeks or whatever, and we can prep for it. But, you know, unless they're like dead set on Gino, there's no one they can hire now. Um, or at least no one they can hire now is just going to take us to the end of the season.
2: So Tuchel, they can hire Tuchel. It's just, uh, yeah, you don't I mean, want to be in a situation where that's
0: your pool, right? It's like the six guys that I think, don't have a job. I think I
1: mean, what we need is another ex-Chelsea manager who does a great job interacting with ownership. I think that's exactly what Spurs need right now. Um, what could possibly go wrong? I just, it's 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 so bad and. Conte has made it so much more worse than it needs to be and that's not even getting into his management it's just about how he's handled the way things have gone um which I think has been bad even by the standards we knew even by his standards and what we knew we were getting with him
0: yeah I mean we said last week we asked this question is do we keep Conte till the end of the season even though we don't want him to be here next year and we all kind of agreed that like Yeah, he's probably the best option to get us through this year and finish top four, given what our alternatives are, whether that's Ryan Mason or, you know, some guy we don't ideally want to hire.
1: And now, David Pleet or whatever. Now we're
0: stuck in that position where, okay, we've got to now salvage this season without this guy because he gave Dana Levy no fucking choice and still have to sign the new manager in the summer. It's just. Thanks for thanks for that parting gift, Antonio. Sorry, Brian, go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, before before the reporting came out kind of late in the day that, um, you know, that, Poch, uh, that uh, Conte was basically done, that Levy had made the decision to fire him, I mean, one of the things I was going to ask you guys was, like, you know, how does the club even save face if we don't fire him, but... It, it, given what you just said Ben that we'd all kind of agreed that like top 4 he was the best chance we had at it and so you know now now that the news cycle has kind of changed uh, that that's kind of a moot point but like now your 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 question for for what you do next has to be the same as what we were talking about last week is what gives you the best chance of top 4 and is that Ryan Mason and Vibes is it pochettino and also vibes or is it I, I don't know some other solution um i just can't see anything other than those two options if we do fire him
0: yeah, mean, i mean half UK's of our not
1: coming here i mean that's not happening
0: why do you say that greg
1: I don't think he's coming right now. Let let me put this in terms of right now. He might come in the summer, but that's why Spurs didn't want to do this. I don't think they wanted to commit to anyone. Clearly. I think there's some hesitancy about Pochettino going on. At least that's what the reporting seems to indicate. But Pochettino, I think is the only outside manager that makes any sense to bring in right now. And that's if you are just like willing to commit to him long term, which maybe we're willing to do, but clearly the club has some issues with that. And frankly, I don't blame the club for wanting to not wanting to make this decision until the end of the year, but I mean Conte forced their hand. I think they were willing to eat a certain level of shit. And, you know, Conte found a level of shit they weren't willing to eat.
0: Yeah. And tried to walk it back as quickly as possible.
1: But Yeah. Because I think on some level, Conte did just want to like, you know, because if he gets Spurs in the Champions League, he can do this whole like, well, you know, it's fucking Tottenham. They suck. Look what I was able to do with this awful club. Like, I think he can sort of get away with that and everyone's sort of like, all right, fucking whatever. But you know, if he, you, you just like you said, Brian, you can't go out there and just like take a shit on everyone at your club, like in the way that he did.
2: So, what do you guys think is, you know, kind of our likely outcome? Mason. for we're gonna
1: hire Ryan Mace. What else can you do?
2: Okay, yeah, Unless and that's what like... I'm saying. It's like who's in charge for Everton? I mean, we do have like a two week break right now. So, like, if you're gonna bring somebody in or hire somebody now is a is a decent time to do it. Um, personally, I think the only options you have are Pochettino and Mason for for this chunk of the season. Um, but if, like you said, Greg, if you're doing Pochettino, you're doing it for long term. So, I guess Ben, do you think it's Mason that's in charge for our next match, or?
0: I mean, I'll say you know, Daniel Levy had to know that this relationship was ending sooner or later and if he doesn't have an idea of what a short list of managers that he wants to look at looks like that's further negligence on his part so that's
1: a different question isn't it because i think you're not i think you're right about that for next season i think he might not have again i don't know how the inside of the football club works i think he might have thought needing to fire context think about it okay you got however many matches, once you get to like the last three or four, well, if you got to fire him, then Mason can do that. Like that's sort of a different calculus, but like now we're going to have to fire him with a lot of matches and a lot on the line. Right. I'm yeah, just I don't saying, know if you're we preparing for that.
0: I'm just saying we should have at least been preparing. Okay. Come May 30th or whenever the season ends, here's the three guys. Like we really want to talk to mm-hmm. like, yeah. If that's like the or Enrique or whoever, like, Give those guys a call. If they'll come and we hire them, I'm not mad, um, but
1: I just don't know. I,
0: I don't either. But so, you know, but like, we, you got to kick the tires, right? Like maybe you don't, maybe you want to like wait and interview people and then get mad at Ten Hog for not having the right number of assistants and then let him go to Man U and then watch him eat your lunch a season later. Um. So, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. It's probably Ryan Mason.
1: What yeah. I expect them to, to to have known and what I expect them to have figured out in short order is where they are on Pochettino. Because I think that's the decision that needs to be made. Like, if is your guy, then get him in now and let's get this party started. Like, I mean, maybe he doesn't want to do that, but if he's the guy you want, like, let's just do it now. Like, let's not waste any time. Let's not do 10 weeks of Ryan Mason's finishing school. But, you know, if we want to do a real managerial search and we have some real sk- – like hesitation about Pochettino then like okay then it's probably Mason unfortunately I don't know you know I don't know if we have anyone with I'm like I don't know you go get Chris Hutton or something like
2: I don't know I think I think my money is on Pochettino being the manager for Everton um uh for the Everton match anyway I think I would be Really Yeah I think I would be that. That's the decision that would upset me the most, and so I think that's why the club is most more than Ryan to do that. Mason. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it, it's uh, as 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 hard for me to say as that is. Um, yes, I would be more upset by Pochettino being in charge than All Ryan right. and Mason. See, Ryan Mason seeing out the season as the caretaker manager. What
0: if Ryan Mason sees out the season successfully and Levy goes? Oh, we found our Mikel Arteta. Ryan Mason's got the job permanently. Now what are you mad
2: about? (laughs) No, then then obviously I'm very mad about the Ryan Mason thing. Um, You know, I don't know. I just... We're still in fourth. We're like a point out of of third, but they've got two matches in hand. Like, you know, we're... I think Ryan Mason and vibes can skate us through to the, the end of the season where we're at least at least in the conversation for fourth you know I, and you know Pochettino, i don't know I, I i i'm not excited to go back to that i've said that multiple times on the show like it's never the sequels never as good as the original like i just it's it's not a good it's just idea it's not true there's plenty of great
0: sequels
2: i mean we've to me to, <laughs> me, the, to me the problem do to have another have avatar you know, discussion okay. ben <laughs> I mean, you me can find two different kinds of
0: perfection, but that's fine,
1: Brian. Uh, I've said this before, but with Pochino, it's like he was at a club that just doesn't tell us anything about what we're getting. Like, how has his thinking changed? How's he going like? How has he evolved? All this other stuff. Like, nothing about PSG really allows us to make to get an informed opinion because that club is just such a mess, and it's so different from us. It's just it's not how we we are going to operate um and you know if he'd been at i don't know sevilla for a few years we might have some sense of like okay well how has he tactically evolved what's he learned from his time at spurs how's he dealing with the transfer market i don't know but i i don't think we're you know for all the problems we've had it seems like the way the, the noises coming out of the club seem to be much more process oriented than they have before. So unless they're just like wildly sold on Pochettino, and I don't think it would be negligence for this team to like take a very hard look at that, considering where we are with the time we have and the fact that he's free. But I just don't think we're going to end up there. I think we're going to, we're going to want to have options in the summer. So it'll be Mason.
2: Yeah. And I I don't even know if those options are necessarily better than what we have right now. I mean, Pochettino and Enrique are both available. And if those are the top two guys on your list, why wait? But I, I, I mean, it just really depends on where Levy's list is. Like, does his lift list have Deserby or Pascoglu or you know, Glasner or Roger Schmidt or whoever higher on that list? I mean, all right. You, first of all, that's fucking uncalled for, Roger Schmidt. Like, that's look. Um, you know, I know we got a lot of questions about it. And as a sporting, as a sportingista, I expect better out of you, Brian. Uh, as a
0: lifelong sporting fan, I'm happy to exactly. sabotage Benfica's season. By
1: taking their manager, so. Fair enough, fair
2: enough. So, I just, I, um, you just have to decide where we're at. Like, if those are your two guys, then make the decision now. And and just deal with whatever happens in these next two games. But if you've got a different top two or three guys, then I guess you got to wait. I mean, you make a call, right? You see if they want to come right now. But for most yeah, of them, there's no way. Yeah, I just no think way. you got
1: to. You've got to have some very reasonable expectations about what the answers are going to be for anyone who isn't, you know, Pochettino, basically.
0: Well, we have two weeks to do some due diligence.
1: Harry Redknapp, interim manager. Let's make it happen.
2: Uh, I, would we so have, fucking,
0: I would be so here for that. Like, it would be good.
1: I'm, I'm like, pretty absolutely. excited. I'm absolutely. absolutely.
2: Four, four, two, and just let him run around, like, it'd be fine. It'd be totally fine. You don't
1: what he do with Pedro Poro other than convert him to a winger. <laughs> All right. Um, let's answer a few questions from our listeners who sent us some important stuff. Uh, Ben, I'll start with you. This is from Bill. Uh, he wants to know, are you more excited about Conte getting sacked or Trump getting arrested? Because they might happen on the same day.
0: I know. That would be such a good day. Uh, I mean, I... On the one hand, Antonio Conte getting sacked is a real thing with real consequences, whereas Trump getting arrested is probably going to be some more fake bullshit. But it's not. (laughs) It's it's pretty good.
1: Here's what I'll say. I think Tottenham will only be able to fire Antonio Conte once. We're probably going to watch Trump get arrested multiple times. So I'll be more excited about Conte getting fired.
0: (laughs) That seems optimistic. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm with Greg on this, though. Like, I think like, you know, the arrest is unlikely to have real consequences, whereas us firing Conte has very real consequences for my daily mood and my enjoyment of my weekends. Uh, so I think Conte is going to be you know much more exciting.
1: Either Brian, way, you live in Florida. Be- I th- I, you live in you live in Florida, Brian. I think what happens to Donald Trump is going to have more of a tangible effect on your life than you're giving it credit. Yeah, for. I
2: live like six miles from Mar-a-Lago, so like I mean, <laughs> it's uh, it, anything could happen.
1: Yeah, well, you guys were talking about sponsorships, so Brian, you better. hope.
2: You're right. You know what? I just haven't been doing my due diligence with the MAGA folks. I I rid off an entire you know market section.
0: Either way, if they both go down tomorrow, it's going to be a fucking great day on Twitter. I'll tell you that.
1: It really will be. <laughs> uh, next up, uh, and probably maybe the grimmest, most existential moment in Wheeler Dealer radio history. Um, Ken asks, which second season fills you with the most angst, EVB Conte or Jose?
2: See, okay. Brian? So here's the thing for Mourinho. We still finished, you know, top four. Um, you no, know. we didn't. Oh, oh, no. I'm thinking of no, the no. end of Nuno. Um, yeah, there was that gap.
0: Huh, yeah. shit. We didn't finish top four the two seasons. Jose was in charge.
2: That's right. Oh, man. <laughs> um, yeah, then, then that one. Because apparently I've also deleted it from my memory. It was so traumatizing.
1: Well, it was also like mid-pandemic so like you probably didn't want to remember half of
2: it yeah
1: I feel like it's got to be AVB because I was so excited about AVB after his first year and it went and not only did it go downhill it went downhill so fast Mourinho's second season sucked but it did take a while to really suck and also I feel like it's sort of like I don't know. It's like watching a horror movie and like the monster eventually showed up and you were kind of expecting the monster to show up the whole time because we all knew Mourinho sucked and was a huge fraud. Like, you know, ABB was like, I don't know, the young up and comer that we all had a lot of hope for. And it just went off the rails so quickly in such a disastrous fashion. I, I, I want to say that was the second year of our podcast. It was very early in our podcast. And I I don't think I remember being angrier at Tottenham than I was like when we got smoked by Liverpool under AVP. Like it, it was a ugly year and, and at least in my memory that sticks out.
0: It's funny. Cause I think like en- enough time has passed from that, that like now all I remember about the end of AVP's tenure is the Sherwood months, the rise of Harry Kane, like stuff that was both funny and transformative kind of happened at the same time. And, like, it's too soon to, like, look back on Jose or Conte's tenure with anything resembling that kind of fondness. You know, Jose's second season, we at least got, like, the return of Gareth Bale, which was, like, a nice little moment.
1: Uh, Well, I think the best moment of that happened on Ryan Mason in that Leicester game, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, we were definitely the worst we've been is ABB second season, no question. That was fucking terrible.
1: Yeah, which is saying something considering Mourinho's second season. But yeah, uh, and this season, I mean, we're in fourth. But anyway, this leads six, into six, another. Like, inch- both
0: of those years,
1: yeah. I always hard. maintain the, th- the thing Spurs fans have kind of underestimated about the Levy Air is like he's put a very high floor on this team. So, um. We have another question, uh, the democratic response to uh, to our anti-levy stuff, uh, or anti- sorry, anti uh, conte stuff. Uh, we sit and forth, why fire Conte for throwing tantrums?
2: So I've thought about this question and um it's it's like I said, it's, it's just it's the message discipline. And as the manager, you are so responsible for the the morale and the the just like the overall good feeling within the club. And I just don't know how you go back in there and face those 20 some odd guys in the locker room after saying they're either selfish or lazy or both. And then also attacking the board and then walking that back and being like, no, no, I only think the players suck. How do you go back in there and look at them? And I think I think that's how as a as a owner, you can justify that. Or or the the best way to answer that question is, you know, regardless of what place we're in right now, regardless of uh, how how Conte is maybe the best guy to get us to finish fourth, ultimately, like you've spent hundreds of millions of pounds on all these players. You continue to pay them tens of millions of dollars a year to play football. And then you're going to put a guy in front of them again, who just said they're all lazy pieces of shit. Like that's, that's not the way to continue to run a successful football club.
0: You know, I think there's also real questions about Conte's ability to finish fourth. You know, we've crashed out of two cups two very winnable cup draws, um, and then lost to Wolves and collapsed to Southampton. The only positive thing in the month of March was a victory over a terrible Nottingham Forest team. Like, this team is not trending in a positive direction. That, coupled with those comments, does does not say to me, if I'm the owner of this team, that, like, I'm in good hands at the moment.
1: Also, after that uh, Milan game, that, that also sort of tells you that that might not have been an isolated incident either. So, Our next question comes from Rob Dirks. He wants to know, is there any chance Kane stays, and do we even want him to? Uh, we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast. I think there is a decent chance he stays because I think there's a decent chance Tottenham is willing to offer him more money. He's going to get on the open market, and I also think there's a decent chance Tottenham are going to fight him leaving um, I'm kind of ambivalent about this. A lot of people have talked about the time, the reason to move on, whether that's reinvesting the transfer funds or just getting off of this, like we, we, we talked about earlier today, this sort of, you know, trying to keep the ball in the air. So Kane is happy. So we're competing. So we're doing all that. I think there is a value to doing that and being able to move on but i do want to stick up for the sort of alternate point of view that i don't think it's voiced enough at least amongst you know the sort of people i talk to or follow on twitter amongst pers fans i do think it is underrated how good harry kane is and how hard that's going to be to replace both from an emotional and a talent perspective and obviously if you want to run a progressive pressing system harry kane presents some problems I think you can work around those problems for a player as good as he is. And, you know, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if we keep Kane around. I would hope that we're going to be clear-eyed about the rest of the team and not make some dumb mistakes. That'll probably happen. But I don't think getting rid of Kane is the slam dunk that some Spurs fans think it is.
0: I mean, I think the dumbest Spurs fans who want to get rid of Kane are like, well, just sell Kane and then go buy a Seaman from Napoli, and then we're better. And it's like we're not fucking buying that guy. Like he's gonna cost a lot of money, and any club in the world would be happy to buy him right now. You know, like it's very hard for us to buy a guy who's gonna score twenty goals a season, guaranteed. You know, it's not a thing we can. We're gonna spend a hundred million pounds to do. And it's not a gamble we can whiff on without consequences for a club of our financial resources. So, like, replacing him— And that might not be what
1: we spend that money on. That might not be what we—we might spend that money on a very different player than Harry Kane, so.
0: I mean, just call Richarlison our number nine. You know, whatever. Like, we can do things. Like, we can sell Kane and replace him. It's just not an easy thing to do. I think there are good reasons to do it because— he doesn't have the legs he used to. It is hard to have, like, a high-pressing team with a forward that's aging and can't do that as much as he used to, um, you know. So we don't have maybe the kind of squad we need to, like, really carry him from a athleticism and work rate and whatever perspective, depending on what our new manager wants. Um, and then the flip side is he's fucking Harry Kane. Like, he's a club legend – been here since he was
1: a child like you keep him and you figure everything else around still productive you know he's still you know very good so
2: i i think unless he makes it untenable for you to keep him you hold on to him or or if you have a manager that tells you you know look i can do more with the money that uh we raised from selling Kane than than i can do with harry Kane in my system then you consider it um but like If he's just going to continue to go out there and play and he's not going to, you know, hold the club hostage or stop training or whatever, um, then then you hold on to him as long as you can.
1: Yeah, I think there's, you know, if he signs an extension, you know, it's back to you're just here for the long haul, buddy. Like, I mean, now's his chance to leave. If he wants to leave, it's now he's either going to wait us out or he's going to demand a transfer. We'll see. um I, I, I think there's value in either proposition. I just think, you know I, I I think keeping Kane around is not the worst thing in the world. I think the worst thing about keeping Kane isn't necessarily the way he plays. It's that we might not do the other things in the squad, the things that we could theoretically do around Kane that we need to do to sort of rebuild this team. Uh, and that's that that's the issue with Kane. so um. You know, because I think the worry is I'm going to use Dazaru as a example of what I'm talking about here. But you know, the worry with Kane is like if we hire a young up and coming manager, a less qual, you know, a less accomplished manager like Dazaru, that Kane won't be happy with it and he won't stick around. And to me, that's the downside of hiding of of keeping Kane is that we can't maybe look a little more long-term and hire someone who needs to grow a little bit. Um, and then we're just going to stay in the structure of hiring guys like Antonio Conte, who think they're too good for us. So that to me is, I I think the, where we are with Kane. So,
0: I mean, I think just to that point, like you can look at a lot of our recent business in the last four years and say, to the extent we've had a plan, that plan has been just Harry Kane, just whatever Harry Kane needs and wants Is the plan and that has not been a very good plan. So it will be hard to end that because we all love Harry Kane. Uh,
1: but it might be necessary for transforming this team. But I do think from an on the field perspective, I think Kane can be useful for the next few years a lot more than people are giving him credit for, even acknowledging he can't run around like he used to. He is on decline to some extent. Like I think it's being – I think we tend to forget how good he really is, if that makes any
2: sense. Um, I mean, he's still, like, 29. I think he turns 30 this summer. Like, you know, Lewandowski is, what, 36? And, you know, yeah, he doesn't run around a a lot, but he still scores goals and, you know, like –
0: But that's exactly the thing. Is like you put Kane on Bayern. Yeah, he'll get another five years of scoring 25 goals a season. Because it's fucking Bayern, they have the ball hundred percent of the time, he can just stand there and bang him in. You know? Go to Barcelona do the same thing. Like it's a very
1: different yeah, no thing. No one's gonna hit no, you but, in Spain.
2: But so. like maybe that gives you an idea of maybe we should have a possession style manager where we can have 60% of the ball in 90% of our games and he can yeah. just stand around and bang him in. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah.
1: Um that sounds Kenneth once right. Kenneth asks, uh, which manager could Tottenham hire that Greg would struggle to most to pronounce his name 30 times an episode? Now, before you guys answer, I want you to think about something, because there's two options here for a good manager to hire For in terms of how I'm going to pronounce their name. Do you want to hire someone whose name I'm going to butcher every week, or do you want to hire someone with a lot of O's in the name?
0: If there's one guy who meets both of those criteria. <laughs>
2: <laughs> PastaCoglou, yeah. <laughs> I, I think PastaCoglou. I think that actually that's a fairly simple name to pronounce once you get it a few times. So I feel like eventually I think having to say
1: it every week is going to solve a lot of these problems. But the first few weeks are not going to be fun. I think well, they Greg, might be fun you.
0: I think Greg, you should give us a list of who you think you're going to have the hardest time with. Just say that. Just battle them off that's for a, me.
2: Just Roger Schmidt. That's going to be the hard one. So. I think the one that's gonna be the hardest for you is Thomas Tuchel, because I think you'll want to do Tuchel all the time.
1: Yes. That's you know what? That that is hundred percent true.
2: Because it's you you're very you're very considerate about the difficult pronunciations. You want to get them right, you're focused on them. But when someone's got a pretty easy name, those are the ones that get you.
1: No, no, because Thomas Tuchel is an accomplished european good at his job thomas tuchel is a shift manager at bethlehem steel that drinks down at um you know the airport so you know yeah that's that's that one will definitely be a problem underrated one good one brian i appreciate that um we have a lot of like disgusting questions from uh unfit for purpose um who you know is a mastodon advocate so we don't like him for that but uh, he wants to know how we feel about roger schmidt he, he asked the question about seven different weight times in a good way um i don't know i'm torn uh, as a sport as a diehard sporting easter um I, I obviously do not like anyone at benfica but like ben said we could sabotage their season so how do you guys feel about this
0: i mean from like an actual football standpoint yes you know, like actually,
1: actually I, i've done the dumb one so <laughs> nice oh way to put all head. the
2: pressure on us <laughs> yeah i mean like
1: look okay i'll start it really seems no. like this guy fell out of favor in european football and what used to be on the cutting edge and then he went to fucking china or whatever the hell for a few years he seems a little bit behind the curve and that's that seems like a weird hire for spurs to make And, you know, frankly, especially for a guy who's been around Europe a bit, I'm a little wary of hiring anyone out of Portugal.
0: (laughs) Wow. That was uh, pretty astute, Craig. I I, I mean, I I would agree with that. I think he has not lived up to his early billing. And maybe, you know, this this time at Benfica has reflected a a shift in his capabilities. Um, But I don't know how well that translates.
2: Yeah, I I think I think the thing you have to look at is he's at Benfica where he gets to have 60, 65 percent of the possession every week because you just have better players than 95 percent of the league. And if you look at his time at uh, in Germany, um, you know, where he was at a team that was, you know, similar in stature to Spurs, where you've got Dortmund and Bayern above you, those teams weren't you know, amazing. Like they were, they were constantly, you know, in the Champions League, Europa League conversation, but he didn't ever really put a challenge on. And he uh,
0: flamed out badly at Leverkusen. Yeah, you know, very like.
2: badly. So, so I think, I think that would be my concern with him. And and like Greg said, you know, like is, is his style, is his um, system, Uh, something that holds up. And obviously this is way more serious analysis than we were expected to give this question. Um, But I think you just need to, whoever you hire, you have to be confident in that their, their system copes with the rigors of the modern game. Like we hired Mourinho and Conte off the basis of these guys are serial winners. And, and that that will translate to this team. Like you have to go, I think this time with a system guy, a guy who you're confident in their system and you're confident in their their thing. And and I don't I'm not confident in Schmidt.
0: I think the other piece of this is it's not just what their system is is how do we adapt our current squad to this new manager style because we have a very purpose built squad for Antonio Conte. We don't have a lot of good passers. We have some good wing backs, but not really full backs, and some full backs who aren't wing backs. We have center backs who are good in the back three, but not in a back two. Like, there's a lot of work we would have to do to transform the squad into a team that will fit a lot of managers' needs. And what's the amount of rope we're going to give them? And what's the amount of money we're prepared to invest in transforming the squad into a team that fits his manager? Like, those are all very important questions, and we can't just look at the flavor of the month and be like, "Oh yeah, he's killing it. Get him." Like. Those and are I think real it's practical concerns
1: But I hope we're concerned. I do think there's something interesting because I think there's something to be worried about flavor of the month, But which Roger Schmidt was like five years ago. But there's something that like I trust less about a Roger Schmidt who, like you said, flamed out in Europe pretty badly than a guy like Amarim, for example, at Sporting, who is a bit of the flavor of the month right now. But he is someone who is... He's very interesting tactically. He does some good stuff. He's done a lot with the sporting squad, which doesn't always have as many resources as Benfica, even though they're, like, better than you know, 90% of Portugal at any given moment. Um, but, you know, he's also a guy, and this might just be a dumb prejudice thing, but, like, this is a guy on the upswing of his career. You know, he's, like, still working his way up and has, you know, hasn't had that chance at, like, the highest level yet in a way that, you know, Schmidt kind of has. And I'm... For whatever reason, it might be a bad reason. I'm, I'm more excited about taking that risk than someone who had to go to China for a couple of years. And that's maybe not fair. That might be just speak to. Greg oh, doesn't believe in second his, his, his chances. Man. That's just really. No, I don't. I mean, weird. it's like, I don't know. It makes me nervous. Like, it makes me nervous. But that might have to do with the things that, the specific ways in which Schmidt sort of fell apart.
0: I mean, you know, you can always end up with a situation like Spalletti. At Napoli, who like took a very circuitous route from those Rome teams back to being great again. Like, it, it can happen, but I don't know if that's where you want to bet our money yeah. at this stage after squandering the last four
1: years.
2: Like, how Pochettino did.
1: <laughs> right. Um, uh, first time listener to the show, so welcome, uh, Reno Wallabout. He. Wants to know uh, if Spurs are actually willing to blow it up, uh, what do you think about Mason getting the full-time job? Uh, we're pretty deep in this podcast, so I don't know if we need to make jokes about it. But, uh, Brian, we'll start with you. Uh, how would you feel about that?
2: Very strongly against, obviously. Um, you know, I, I didn't think that his his last stint in charge as interim manager was anything particularly amazing i thought he was fine and he got the guys through on playing his friends and doing good vibes and you know he could probably do that again this season but i don't know i just i just haven't seen anything really out of him tactically that tells me that i know what he is as a manager and And I would be hesitant to give someone that big of a job where you don't have any inkling of what he is.
1: You'd have to have one hell of a 10 game stretch. (laughs) I was about to say, Ben, let me phrase this question to you uh, in a slightly different way. What would he have to do to make you realistically consider him as a long term manager right now? Not like in three years or something like that.
0: He would have to win 10 games in very convincing fashion. No, I mean he doesn't have to win out. Honestly, like if he showed, if he came in two weeks and like put out something that was different than what we've seen this year, both formation and tactics and everything it was, which is a big lift because it's easy to just like do the continuity thing at this stage in the season. But if he like actually showed, he, us, he, like, he had
1: to. I-, I mean, realistically, he would probably have to.
0: And he showed us he had ideas and got the team playing for him. And we won a lot of games. I could be convinced it's not the worst idea in the world. But, like, for me to think it's a good idea, it would have to be, like, just an outrageous stretch.
1: Frankly, for me, I mean, to be realistic, because I don't think this is what would happen, but I would need the players talking about Ryan Mason to anyone who would listen in the way that Ben talks about Avatar. I would need them to be so... (laughs) fucking over the moon and talking about how he meant, like his tactics, his ideas, the way he communicates. I would just need like a level of buy-in from the club that I would be very skeptical. We'll ever see like to hire him at this point. And I, I like, again, I, I am open to the idea that Ryan Mace is going to have a good managerial career and might manage just one day. I think he probably needs some seasoning before then. Um, But yeah, I, I would need to hear, I would need that level of enthusiasm out of the players who
2: are at the club to, like consider it now i'm with ben though like if he came out if ryan mason for example does get the interim tag and he manages the rest of the season if he comes out against everton and we're playing like a four three three with you know three guys you know the the three healthy midfielders all playing in the midfield and Cuddy is uh you know a a center back in a back four like and that works like I'm a little more interested than if it's just like, ah, we'll just do what we were doing, but I'll, I'll be nice to you guys. Like now you're, now you're starting to sound like you might have a, be a football manager with ideas and I would be, I would be a little more intrigued.
1: All right, guys. Final question. Um, This is from Eric Cromwell. Um, With Conte out, is there any current exiled Spurs player on loan that you'd like to see integrated
2: back into the team for next season? Uh, I mean, for me, I think the, you know, the player that is like the best player that's out on loan and the player that is most obviously useful given the construction of the current squad is, is LaCelso. Um, I don't know like what, what bridges he's burned or like, you know, how much people hate him, but he's obviously the most talented. I
1: do think of all the guys who seem to have burned their bridges, Lacelso circumstances might lead to him sticking around and that he's hurt and he needs to rebuild his value maybe a little bit. I don't think it's going to happen. For me, the answer is Jed Spence. I think he is having a pretty successful loan so far. I think he offers obvious qualities and he's English. Um, I, I, I mean, he's I also think like 22. There's 20.
2: no way we were going to cut bait on him already.
1: Yeah. I Brian mean, Hill. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah. So anyway, it, it's probably Spence. I'd say heel if I have to go a little further afield, uh, ben, you want to give us the answer I'm expecting?
0: No. Not now. you ruined it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... Like a, look, pizza, like a pizza eaten before it's cooled off.
0: I mean, I, of course, want to see Ndombele play for this team, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I really don't think that's going to happen. Um, I mean, yeah, I think he's, like, phenomenally talented. Who just doesn't have the application or whatever. Um, so it's just never gonna happen. Um, to give a different answer, you know, I mean we could use a left back. Maybe Regulon's got something in the tank. I know he's not setting the world to light.
1: That probably isn't as far that probably isn't as far fetched as it seems. Like I think we were all a little surprised that Conte exiled him the way he did so quickly um at the after last season. So I mean, I I I don't have a full grasp of all the medical issues he's been facing this year, which seem to have a real impact on him, but...
0: Like, I guess the thing I'll say about Reguilon more than anybody else is, like, he seemed so happy to be here and genuinely a fan of, like, being at this club. And if we could rehabilitate him, like, there's something there. Like, there is a reason that we bought him that I don't think has gone away. He's still pretty young, Um you know, well, I guess he's 26. Jesus Christ, time flies.
2: know. Uh. how God, much ham seriously? can we afford oh. to buy him if we fire Conte? Like, you know, yeah. the, the severance for Conte directly cuts into <laughs> be, the ham budget. Yeah, the cured ham budget. Is, it would be pretty <laughs> ironic if, if when we finally sell
1: Tanga and Dombele, we have enough money to buy Sergio Regula on a bunch of ham. So
2: we could just buy that ham for Indombele and then he would be better.
0: Yeah, you just, like, hang I don't on think like a be stick I on think a that's string the problem, in front of man. him and let him run around
1: and chase it. And then, Come on, that's and Dombele in a 4-3-3 three,
2: three would be great.
1: Just have a guy behind the goal, like, holding <laughs> like a ham on that. Yeah, ham
0: on a string, just, like, on those, on those like, camera wires that go over <laughs> the pitch. So just have that ham zooming around.
2: No, you remember <laughs> the... You remember the what was a German club that did the kind of like quote unquote tifo with the arrow pointing the directing their team to goal. And I thought would, you
1: were going to talk about the German club with a sausage train that ran around.
2: I mean, <laughs> also a good example. Um, but I was just thinking we could just have the guy in the crowd with the ham, and they could he just run up and down the pitch to where and <laughs> needed to position himself, and it'd be fine. I think that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what Ryan Mason's role under the new management team can be.
0: Ham guy. <laughs> Guy oh, with a ham running
1: around the pitch. You know, I was worried this was gonna to be too boring a question to end our podcast on, but you guys really saved that one. So kudos to both of you. Good work. See, this is the kind of selfless performance that Tottenham Hotspur could use on the pitch every week. You guys are still a bunch of selfish pricks. I don't care. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brian, Brian, where where that can people muted. find your where can people find your <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find your judgment on the line every week, Brian?
2: You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y.
1: Benjamin, where can people find your red hot takes on the internet?
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs, tweeting about our new ma- manager, Ryan Mason. That's Ryan with a Y.
1: Hey, <laughs> you can find me um, on Twitter.com at Skipjack0079. That is Skipjack with an I. Uh, Don't forget to follow our podcast, WDR Podcast. Um, That is WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Uh, Just a reminder, we are recording this on Monday night uh, in America. So if we end up hiring, you know, uh, Jose Mourinho again, don't blame us. (laughs) We have no idea. On that note, it is time to wrap it up. For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.